Welcome and thanks for listening. My name is Christian Buckley and you're listening to the Collab Talk podcast. In this episode, I'm talking with Michael Miller, Director of Talent at AdPoint, on the topic of talent management in the era of the hybrid workplace. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Collab Talk podcast, where we discuss the convergence of technology, business productivity, and collaboration culture. My guest today is Michael Miller, Director of Talent at AvPoint and a PhD candidate in industrial and organizational psychology. Hello, Michael. Hi, Christian. Uh, happy to be here. It's we're, This is a great topic, and I know that this is where this came from. Uh, everyone is is actually so so Michael is relatively new at Avpoint and one of his first like company-wide presentations talking about talent at, inside of Avpoint and he talked a bit about his background and I was like ooh I need to pick his brain need to pull him into the podcast so we're focusing today on the topics of talent management and key learnings for building the right team for the hybrid workplace I, I have long been kind of a, um, you know, a, a, an organizational psychology, uh, uh, say, I, I hate HR, you know, the, right. I, I like, I like the people team, you know, moniker. Mm-hmm. I like that. That's a, that's a great way to, to, to talk about it, but, um, you know, the, the learning and development kind of track. In fact, I did my MBA in technology management. Okay. I really, I, I, I was back and forth on doing a master's in organizational management and going mm-hmm. that direction more, uh, just because I'm just really passionate about uh, you know, a lot of these topics. Why don't we, Michael, as, as part of the kind of the welcome, the hello here, what is talent management? Yeah, that is a um, great question. I had a kind of a roundabout way to get myself into talent management. I um I spent five years actually uh, working in special ed, um, and you know one day I was just like, yeah, wow, can I do this for another five? How about another thirty-five? And the answer is no, right? And so I was kind of casting about, figuring out what is it that I'm going to do with my life, right? I'm I'm twenty-six years old and don't know what I'm going to do, and um, what took stock of kind of what I had loved, and I had a degree in psychology, and you know I'd, I'd been spending my time working with kids. Right. And why was I working with kids? Because uh, I saw the immediate impact of my work. It was good, you know, like italicized good. Um, It was good work. And uh, the outcome of my efforts was was visible every day. Uh, And so I was like, all right, how do I find that in a regular job? Right. That you you don't necessarily just find that in data entry, I thought. Um, But so what am I going to do? And I look about and I ended up going back for a degree in industrial organizational psychology. Um, which uh, led me eventually into this role over, you know, long course of uh, of work and, and uh, you know, blood, sweat and tears uh, to get into this um, role as a director of talent management. And pretty much when you think of uh, talent management, it's everything that happens after a signed offer letter uh, with any given employee, right? It's your onboarding, it's engagement, uh, it's uh, performance management. So how do we engage them in their role and get the best out of them? Um, and how do we get them to want to give their best, right? It's not a like a manipulation, it's a partnership, it's a give and a take. Um, how do we develop employees? And all of that repeats, right? It's a cycle, it repeats over and over and over in a role until someone is either promoted or they leave the organization. And how do we do that part well? Now, the best talent management functions, they work in partnership at um, all levels of the organization, right? So talent management, it should translate to the organizational priorities and business goals. Um, and, and we should be doing that at the level of programs and platforms and processes within the people arena. So how do we take what leaders uh, have a vision for their organization and translate it into the things that we do every day as people at work? You know, so like I, I went to work for a very large tech company based in Redmond, Washington. I'm not going to say any names here. Uh, they had a week long, five days of an onboarding process, then that new hire orientation, yeah. Neo. And about two thirds through day one. And of course, they give you the whole agenda. And I'm just like, 
it was bleeding out of the ears, bored, so incredibly bored. I ditched mm-hmm. and went and showed up at team meetings for my new team. Yep. And then was told like, you need to be over in Neo. And I'd be like, oh, no, I can go and check in in the morning. Right. You know, I've got the, the, the bundle of swag for this, but why? Like I, they're going to email me everything they're talking about. It'll be in PDF form. I have to sign certain documents, mm-hmm. you know, it, I think it was actually that, like that first day, what, what allowed me to do that was they gave me a badge. I said, if you wanted me to be present for five days, why did you give me a badge? Right, right. <laughs> yeah, corral me where I need to go. Don't give me the option to leave. Yeah, that's the um, private common onboarding. You know, uh, let's sit you down. We're going to give you all the uh, the CYA material. We're going to cover our asses, right? Um, yeah. I don't know if I can say that on your podcast. but Of course. Um, and uh, we're gonna lock it's you a, in. It's a gonna... family-friendly show, but we're we grew up right. on the rough side of the track. So yeah, we're... yeah, yeah. The rough riders of uh, of collaboration here. <laughs> uh, but yes, uh, businesses—they want to sit you down and they want to tell you like, here's what you can do, here's what you can't do. You can't wear baggy jeans. It can't have holes in them. You need to wear chinos. Great, thank you. That could have been, you know, a text message, um, an email. Right. Um, right. The best onboarding, really. Um, is more about embedding the culture early, espoused culture. What is it that we say about our organization? What is it that our organization actually lives up to? And really, it's um, most employees' first opportunity to understand uh, whether or not their employee value proposition, what, what, what a company says they are, uh, is actually who they are. Um, and oftentimes, you know, if, if that first interaction is five days locked in a room being lectured to, um, well, that's probably not what any that was that they definitely are. who they were. Yeah. That, yeah. That, uh, at that time. Yeah. And it's, it's evolved and changed. And I think they've reduced that, which also to your point speaks mm-hmm. to who they are, that they've evolved part of that. Now, I mean, other companies that have been through, I've been like the opposite end where they throw a three ring mm-hmm. binder at you. I've been through that a couple of times and you're just lost and you go right. and you ask people for help and ask questions and it's an annoyance. It's just like, mm-hmm. you know, go, go read the binder. Why, why are you right. asking me? Yeah. And I think all of these like mm, errors in first meeting is what I guess I'll call them. I think they all spring from the fact that, um, well, they're designed by people, right? And people are fallible. People make mistakes. And, uh, people are lazy, right? Um, you know, uh, uh, and, they want to do, you know, what's quickest, most expedient, um, easiest without uh, a continuous effort put in that's going to drain them. And that ends up looking like a lecture or looking like a three ringed binder um, because those people who are designing those programs uh, often have 30 or 40 or 50 other things that they need to be doing. Right. Uh, yeah. Onboarding is important, but so is the employee um, uh, uh, issue that's happening in finance and so is uh the manager who's you know going to quit and leave their team of 20 with no leader unless x y and z happen and so your hr team your people team have you know 30 different fires they're trying to put out on any given day and um they're trying to run an onboarding program or a performance management program that's uh effective and efficient and that's kind of where talent management comes in where we can take a look at uh those broad strategic uh employee um uh, uh, experiences and um, fine tune them and think about them holistically and how we make them uh, effective and uh, how we make them a good um, a good reflection on the organization. You, you just used a phrase that uh, Microsoft is uses extensively now is about employee experience. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I think of you know my own personal experience. I mean, I think of talent management a lot like that software development experience and those creating those employee experiences those mm-hmm. uh, where you need to think about end to end what the end user is trying to accomplish and and while you know talent management hr might be just at the front end of that process in most organizations mm-hmm. it it really needs to be responsible for what's happening over the lifetime of that employee. If you think of it now, again, like software companies, how important retention management is, Mm -hmm. um, how important it is for, uh, uh, to to have like a customer success focus. And it's not just about, because I, look, I've worked for companies that have been really good at the sales process, 
And as soon as the sale is done, the customer feels forgotten because the salesperson moved on and then no one was there to pick up the baton and continue running over along the race with that, with that customer. You know, my own experience has been, so going back into the uh, mid nineties with uh, knowledge management and building my first portal Mm -hmm. was in, in a lot of ways was was looking at that end-to-end employee experience. And I was building it from a project management organization, PMO, uh, from that process-centric view, saying right. what is the life cycle of when our customers internally come to us and are requesting things from that initial request to when we've delivered it and then we're supporting mm-hmm. whatever that request is ongoing and the systems and the software that we're supporting there. So I was looking at the majority of their experience, you know, right. once they were an employee. And and so I went and built a lot of that and built workflow and built mm-hmm. a lot of the, the process and the 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 visible process, like hey, here's where I am, here's the request process, the front door process for different requests and and right. ticketing system and kind of all those things. How much of a stretch is it from the way that you view kind of the workplace? No, um, I think that's correct. I think I think you're hitting the nail on the head there. And and you know, when you talk about like a sales motion or sales cycle, right? From somebody who maintains that sales perspective, right? The sale is the end of the the uh, uh, relationship, right? That is the end. That's now I'm done. Now I go and start another sales motion uh, from the person being sold to. That's the start of the relationship, right? Um, and it's the same thing when you uh, translate it to uh, an employee and a company, right? And a company is selling more than just their product or their service. They are, of course, doing that, but they're selling themselves to their employees and to their potential employees every day, right? I, I firmly believe that, that as an employee, my company needs to sell to me still, um, yeah. right? Date your wife, well, um, right? Well, well it's, it's also like the, the really the good salespeople understand that maintaining mm-hmm. that relationship like suddenly there's a new product that our company has. You go to that base of those customers that you have a relationship mm-hmm. with and you say, hey, here's a new product that we just released this. Level of trust is higher. They're mm-hmm. more likely to go on a purchase. The retention is higher. They're more likely right. to renew at the end of that enterprise agreement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I had a um, a conversation recently with um, one of my colleagues um, who's over with a financial services firm and and he's talking through like how do i get how does he get his sales people his um uh, his producers to go out and um essentially reservice his clients and and go back and say hey if you got a client 10 years ago and you've got you know you you got 90% of their money at that point i guarantee you you still don't have nine you don't still have 90% of their money they've gone and made more money go back and work with them and there's this uh, like block for a lot of people uh, that, you know, once you've like accomplished, once you've uh, gone and hunted and made the kill, you're not going to go back, right? That's done. Um, you want to go out and do that again. Um, and I think for companies and for employees, uh, there's a general thought that, hey, we're going to position ourselves in one way as a company. We're going to uh, acquire the employees that we need, and then they are part of the organization. And whatever it is that we said at the beginning uh, just needs to be true. And that's not that's not how it works, right? You need people in place to make those things true. Uh, that employee value proposition, that uh, employee experience that we promise as an organization, someone actually on the ground has to make that the truth, right? And that's a lot of what um, talent management is about. Well, that's uh, a lot of uh, you know, I've, I've written about. There's a lot of content out there about the like the creative destruction. Destruction. It's the that that renewal process yeah. that needs to happen. That that's out there. And and it's uh, when I think of like uh, W. Edwards Deming and you you know that process of continual improvement, you know kaizen, you know like all, yeah. all of the things around that. Those concepts are that you are you achieve you 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 have your plan, you achieve the the goal. Mm-hmm. Then you look at what's the next. What are the ways that we can improve upon that? And mm-hmm. things are constantly changing. The business needs are changing. The employee requirements changing. It's funny in technology that you give people everything that they're asked asking for. What happens is then the lens of their understanding of what's possible like changes. They become enlightened, right. enlightened based on what has been delivered to date. Mm-hmm. Their requirements then change. 
you know, right. the, the customers want more. There's you're on, you're looking for efficiencies, all of those things. It, it renews. Mm -hmm. it, and so there's a constant need to be looking at and improving on. And that's right. what you know, you're, you're constantly optimizing. Right. And there is probably a, um, moment of trust that you as an organization or you as a leader need uh, to say, hey, yes, we've changed. We've made uh, major improvements. Now we need to do it again. Right. Um, and because that, that, that probably elicits a moment of fear. Right. Change is hard for everybody, no matter where you sit in an organization. And to say, hey, we need to constantly change, especially today, uh, where two years ago we were in the office every day and now we are yeah. at home every day. I remember um, going home and being told, all right, see you in two weeks. Well, now it's yeah. been two years, right? right. Yeah. And uh, things have changed, you know, 10 times over since since then. Um, so as an organization, you need to be flexible and you need to be ready to uh, change. You need to have a, uh, we'll probably talk about it again. It's yeah. top of mind. We're, everywhere. we're going to come back to the, mindset yeah, yeah. around yeah. Um, who we are as an organization, who we are as leaders. For sure. Yeah, we're going to come back to that topic. I, I want to, first, I want to ask that question about what, what's happening around talent management specifically when within app point so what's kind of the real world what what are you doing what's your yeah. team yeah great question so um app point is uh you know we've been around for a while and we have um recently gone public and a part of uh this transition to um you know who we are as avpoint public avpoint probably not 2.0 9.0 19.0 whatever how who we are going to be in the next uh coming of coming years uh there's been a uh shift in priorities i don't know if i'd actually say a shift in priorities but there's been a shift where to where we know that we need to invest in our people and how we show up in a structured way um and so Instead of um, you know uh, being maybe reactive, we need to understand how to be proactive in the talent management space. So one of the uh, first areas of focus is um, is around uh, assessing and developing uh, managers who are in critical roles. Right, our managers. We know that they are important. Uh, we know that we need to communicate what is good look like in the management space and how do we develop those people who are already in those roles and how do we select for those who may become managers in the future. Um, so right now, specifically, we're looking at our um, sales managers, right? And how do we get the most out of them and how do we set them up for success uh, over the next you know, year, two years, three years uh, as we transition into like Avpoint public? Does that make sense? It, well, it does to me. Yeah, well, the people listening in. Of, of course, I'm right. I'm I'm privy to some of the things that are happening sure. inside the company. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what one of the downsides? I look. I recognize it's one of the downsides of the hybrid work model. And I, you know, I've I've worked from home for the past decade, so there mm -hmm. was no transition as far as you know work style. Right. Uh, for me around that. And I also had the benefit of, I've been with the company, I've been with Avpoint. For those, mm -hmm. you know, just uh, share this, that I am also an Avpoint employee. Uh, but right. uh, you know, just for the last year, but Avpoint was a customer for four years prior to that. Mm -hmm. And then for uh, a few years, I worked for competitors, but I've known most of the executive team for the last decade. So again, it was mm -hmm. an easier transition for me at you into that. But joining the company at this time, being here when we made that transition to become public, knowing a lot of the history and a lot of the change right. around that, um, you know, it's, I, I would say that compared to most other new Avpoint employees, I'm pretty plugged in. Mm -hmm. And yet, you know, I, I'm also interested in, yeah. you know, the, like the next step. And I would... Hey, just by the way, and I would, the way that you kind of phrased it, I don't think of, and I know that you weren't trying to uh, say like, hey, well, we completely changing the way that right. we're looking at managing people. No, it was just yeah. the natural time to look at growth stage of the company, how mm -hmm. we need to prepare for the next step of growth that we need to modify and add to what we've been doing from a talent management standpoint. Yeah. You know, the annual process, I mean, companies have that kind of built in. Fiscal year begins, there's an opportunity to go out there and say, all right, mm -hmm. new year, here's our renewed focus, here's what we're going to change. 
AvPoint went public this year. There's an, yep. on top of the annual change, we have the moving from public to private or to, to private to public company. There are certain things that we need to do from a reporting mm -hmm. standpoint, from a transparency standpoint, um, that's going to also change and impact some of those things. So we companies have built in these kind of natural, you know, phase gates uh, for change to happen. Yeah, I think that's um, that's that's correct. Um, part of so um, part of the I guess the talent management philosophy or the approach that we are taking um, as we transition through these these gates, as you call them, um, is really to look both um, tactically. What is it that we've done in the past? Uh, and how do we improve it? We touched earlier on, you know, a lot of these programs are put together uh, through convenience, right? What is convenient at the time? Um, my Part of my job is to not just do what's convenient and to do what is right or what is best for the organization. So looking at things like um, how do we uh, manage performance and how do we communicate uh, what good performance looks like and how uh, individual contributors and managers uh, can improve in their role, right? So performance. Um, how do we engage our employees on the ground, right? Once they're in, um, how are we collecting their sentiment and, and uh, packaging it in a way that's actionable for managers to improve that daily employee experience? Um, let me look at my whiteboard. What else am I working on? Uh, how do we have the systems in yeah. place, uh, the, the technology and the systems in place uh, to manage a, an organization that's growing and an organization that's public, right? Uh, where are we on Excel where maybe we should be in a program that does a lot of the uh, workforce and allows for um, some deeper analytics around our people behavior? Um, and then moving into those more strategic things like, um, you know, how do we show up as a culture uh, around management? Yeah, there's, yeah, again, I I, I believe strongly that, uh, so much of you know every aspect of you know management of leadership in the company is focused on change management. Change mm -hmm. management is is the one of those things where companies need to pay more attention to that. I believe uh, because organizations that are good at managing change, no matter what the part of the business that you're coming from, if you can manage that change, right, and, and have it processed for that, it's part of the culture. To be mm -hmm. able to roll with that change and constantly be looking at how do we optimize against the right. changes that are happening, then you're going to have a, a you know a, a huge advantage over the competition. That's right. That's right. And you know, readiness to change is something that's rarely measured, right? We 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 look around, we say, oh well, here's where we are, here's where we need to be. Uh, I'm a leader, and so you know, I'm going to lead us towards that change. Um, and there's like a, this inherent assumption that everybody is ready for that change because we've said that's that's the change that needs to happen. Um, measuring that change, understanding where we maybe aren't ready. Do we have the technology in place to support this change? Do we have the people in position to drive that change uh, when you're not in the room? Um, that's the tough piece, right? Uh, but what's fun about change is that as you go through more change and you bring people along on these change initiatives and you grow the business and you uh, institute new policies or processes or programs, uh, people get better at change and they are more ready for change uh, in part because they've found that change isn't that big scary thing that they always thought it was and there's a way to operate and uh, grow a business through change. Um, all of a sudden they're better at it and they're uh, ready for it. So. I think, you know, I, I don't know, there's probably about a dozen quotes that you can pull from, but the only thing that doesn't change is change, right? So, right. you know, one, one of the, uh, again, looking at my career, my, my, it was actually business school that um, was just an excellent um, uh, uh, training ground for change management is like an MBA. I mean, it's essentially like a, an advanced degree in project management, the, the, mm -hmm. the hardest part of that program was getting along with people and er, yeah. like week after week it was every week there was mm -hmm. an individual project in a team project and for two and a half years it was you know, writing these papers and different problems that were thrown at us putting together these small teams and then having to work together to split up divide what mm -hmm. are the roles what are we trying to accomplish who owns which part what are we going to go and do share the load the individual pieces around that and driving towards that and it built into me, at least, this mindset. It, it helped kind of set me on the path of that that PMO focus that I yep. ended up specializing in for a number of years. Um, but of of going in there and not being thrown by change, it's very much mm -hmm. like, okay, 
Let's reset. Where are we? What do we know? What do we need to accomplish? Let's go and do yep. it. And uh, anyway, I I, I want to circle. We'll circle back to that change and we because I, I do want to talk about kind of what's changing around the workplace with the hybrid workplace, like what how we're changing mm-hmm. culturally. But I want to understand some of like your focus. Let's talk about your doctoral study. So okay. what's the focus of your dissertation? Yeah, so great question. Um, I definitely feel you around the pain of an MBA program, right? I'm, I'm in this um, doctoral program. Uh, I also work full time and uh, there is um, kind of like three streams of work as I uh, think about my uh, 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 dissertation program, my doctoral program and work. There's, of course, you know, what I get paid for every day uh, to show up and do talent management stuff. And then there's uh, the doctoral program where not only do I have, you know, classwork and and team projects and individual papers, um, but a dissertation, right? And a dissertation is like a separate 40 hour job on top of school and, you know, my my job, um, which is uh, which has been the challenge I wasn't expecting. Um, but to share a little bit about the dissertation, it covers a few um, psychological concepts, and I'll try not to make it too heady. Um, there's like code switching that has to happen between like, you know, what is, how do I talk about a dissertation? How do I talk with humans? Um, and so I'll try and keep it at the human realm as opposed to like, you know, whoever's going to end up reading this document. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it covers a couple of things. Basically, it um, looks at uh, this concept of how we think about ourselves called core self-evaluation, which is essentially an assessment of four components of who we are as people that we make about ourselves, right? So self-efficacy, our ability to go out and uh, make things happen, essentially. Can we go out and do it? Self-efficacy, self-esteem, how we generally feel about ourselves and our abilities, self-esteem, locus of control. So whether or not we control what happens around us or if uh, what happens around us is happening to us, right? Locus of control and emotional stability, right? Which it kind of explains itself, how uh, stable your emotions are and how capable you are of managing them. So the combination of those four things is core self-evaluation. Um, generally, people who have high self, uh, self-esteem, self-efficacy, locus of control, and emotional stability are you know, more effective employees, more effective in relationships. There's a lot of uh, research around that as an individual concept. The second concept is growth mindset um, and growth versus fixed mindset, mindset uh, popularized by Carol Dweck in education in like 1988, maybe. Um, was when her first, um, some of her first papers started coming out and getting traction. Uh, She wrote an entire book. It's on my shelf somewhere. It's just called Growth Mindset. Um, But it's essentially. Definitely heard of the book. And that's a phrasing that's been used for the last, Mm -hmm. you know, 30 years. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And it it comes in and out of fashion. It's been in fashion um, most recently. Um, uh, I think especially as we've been um, in a pandemic. But. Uh, growth mindset, this concept of um, a belief uh, that our inherent capabilities uh, can be developed, right? Uh, if I am, um, a big part of my job is Excel, right? Just navigating Microsoft Excel. You'd be surprised how far I've gotten in my career by just being good at Excel. Um, but I didn't start off good at Excel. That's not an inherent capability. Um, I worked at it, I developed it. I uh, took a growth mindset and knew that I could develop this skill. Um, The opposite of a growth mindset is a fixed mindset where um, we believe that we are born with capabilities and we can never develop develop them. So if you are a salesperson and you're looking at the like rockstar salesperson, uh, if you, look at them and that they inspire you and you want to go out there and crush it and make sales and uh, be that person next year, you have a growth mindset. If you're looking at them and you're saying, well, I can never do that. They are, they have the gift of gab that everybody likes them. Uh, They're just born with these qualities and I'm never going to be that. I better just, you know, stay at my medium, uh, medium level of sales. You probably have a fixed mindset, right? So we look at core self-evaluation and growth mindset. And the third is this newer concept um, and newer in the realm of like psychology is like 20 years old, right? So it's around 15, 20 years old. It's this idea of job crafting behavior. Hmm. And uh, job crafting is the ability to um, proactively as an individual uh, seek change 
to the elements that make up our job to meet our needs or our desires, right? So not just sticking with the old job description, right? If it's not mm. in the job description, I can't do it. That's that's like the old way of thinking here. Um, and you can craft across a number of different job domains, um, including like the relationships that I have at work, the job tasks I'm responsible for, my approach to completing my work, um, and more. So if I am a software engineer um, and my job is just to code buttons in a in an app to do certain things, like I can just do that, right? Or I can craft elements of my job. I can go and talk with the data architect and learn about like how the data is put together behind the scenes. I can speak with um, software engineers who aren't responsible for buttons. You can tell I'm not a software engineer. Um, but uh, not a lot learn, of software engineers building buttons, but OK, I, I don't know, um, right? <laughs> um, but I can speak with uh, all the different other teams and learn about what they're doing and learn how my work fits into that broader category, the broader work. And I can change elements of my job. I feel the yeah. ability to go out and uh, uh, take action. In my work um, without someone saying, Mike, you need to do this, right? Yeah. And so job crafting behavior. That that's actually, I mean, I've always been um, of the mindset that a job description is more of an initial roadmap for a mm -hmm. role. You know, the company knows it needs certain uh, tasks completed and outlines right. the scope of that, uh, you know, of that role to fulfill those needs. But as an employee, again, my philosophy um, has always been that that we should go in with that more of that operational mindset. So it's it's that job crafting behavior. This is how I interpret that. Um, yeah. So that it, that we again, there's change that happens. We should recognize that. We then have a refining uh, uh, understanding of what is needed for that yeah. role. I was asked to do these five things within my job. Mm -hmm. Over time, I realized that two of them are really not needed, or maybe they belong elsewhere in the organization. Right. And and so, like, I've always done that. Sometimes, I mean, mm -hmm. you literally work yourself out of a job because you're like, hey, right. I, I've solved certain problems or realized that I've been able to operationalize or automate aspects and move them over where they belong. Mm -hmm. Um, but then uh, kind of to your point is then I've, I've always kind of gone in and looked at and said, well, what's actually needed for the business or for right. the customer are these other things. And so my, you know, my, my role kind of shifted into this, something completely different than mm -hmm. what I was initially hired to do. Right. And so job crafting behavior is interesting, yeah. um, because, uh, you as an individual might just be more, you might have a greater propensity to go and change elements of your job, uh, but you might find yourself in a role and you know, probably not at this point, but like starting your career, you might find yourself in roles where you have a manager who's really overbearing and really a micromanager. And you, there might be other people who you're trying to like connect with who are like not open to it. Uh, and you may just have a couple of experiences that really turn you off to the idea of crafting in your job and changing elements of your job. Um, now, to kind of loop all of that together, right? I've, I've talked about these three like mega concepts within psycho within psychology. Um, I don't get to just talk about those three and like say, all right, I'm done. I actually have to do research. And so um, I take these three concepts and I, I'm putting together a hypothesis, something like um, uh, uh, the measurable personality facets of uh, core self-evaluation, self-efficacy, self-esteem, locus of control, and emotional stability. Those um, measurable personality facets uh, will predict an individual's willingness to engage in job crafting behavior. Uh, and this interaction, so um, more core self-evaluation, more job crafting behavior, that's going to be moderated by the present or the lack of growth mindset. So. You know, you probably have high, well, within the uh, structure of my hypothesis, you probably have high self-efficacy, self-esteem, locus of control, and high emotional stability, which may result in you being more likely to feel comfortable crafting in your job, right? So because you have those four things in abundance, you probably feel very comfortable job crafting. And that's only um, magnified uh, through growth mindset is the overall idea. So if we want job crafting behavior, we want people who have a strong core self-evaluation and a growth mindset. And so why all of this matters to business, why like I think I should 
um, pay all this money to write this paper to uh, <laughs> make its way into, you know, the general um, the general zeitgeist of, you know, what we do in an organization is uh, that employees are still working from home, right? And this was a shift to everyone's job. And um, we all need to find new ways of accomplishing our roles and uh, expanding what it is that we do and growing the business. And that ability to craft elements of our job um, to meet the needs of, of our shifting role um, is a critical skill, right? We, we live in a volatile and ambiguous uh, work setting right now. And that need to collaborate in new ways um, and, and to proactively seek out the people and the information that we need to do our job has never been more important. So how do we select for and create the conditions for um, people to feel like they can go out and change elements of their job? How do we uh, support them so that they have strong self-esteem at work and they feel like they can take action in their role? And, and, and how do we select for and develop a growth mindset in our organization? Those I think are the um, um, antecedents to job crafting behavior. And if we're all gonna be working from home without oversight by our managers, we want people who feel comfortable to go out and craft their job and to, and to change it to meet their needs. You know, would you agree that organizations that kind of making the segue into that topic yeah. of hybrid work, you know, like, would you agree that organizations that will struggle the most or have struggled the most with this transition are those that are less supportive of their employees having this job crafting behavior? If if you're not allowing people that room to go in there and it, it, it kind of you know form the the role around them in this this new especially if they're hybrid or working purely from you know remote uh, then you're going to struggle right right um and there's like, uh you can't think, micromanage people when they're right and when i think you can't see them you know? i think i listened to one of your podcasts where this like came up before but this idea that like you know if you're a manager who um only knows people are working because you can see them sitting at their desk typing away. Um, that's the wrong approach. It's not uh, that's not going to work for you in a hybrid work environment or a virtual work environment. What we need to focus on instead uh, is the output, right? Did your employees do the work that you assigned and was done at a high enough quality, right? And that's kind of the mindset shift that um, I think uh, organizations at a whole need to go through, right? Not um, measuring and looking for effort, but measuring and looking for impact. Yeah. Well, and the other part of this too, with change is that you as the employee, you know, have to recognize that, okay, these are the five tasks that I need to have accomplished. Mm -hmm. Whether you agree that they're the right five tasks, I mean, there's kind of a, a journey you need to go through yeah. with that. You need to change people's minds. You have to there's to 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 evolve it, to move it in the right direction. If people disagree with you, your manager disagrees, the organization disagrees mm -hmm. about the, that change, then there's, hey, decisions you need to make about whether you can operate within that realm or if it, that right. will, you know, uh, uh, rapidly uh, mm -hmm. deteriorate your your level of happiness within that role, within that function. I mean, you need to make that decision. The, right. Look, there are, there are things in any job. I mean, my job, most of the stuff that I do, I'm passionate about, I really enjoy. Mm -hmm. Every once in a while, there are things, and I, I, I my sister has, uh, one of my sisters, I have six, by the way. Okay, hey, great. Uh, big yep. family. Uh, but one of my sisters always says, the it, it's like her mantra, is like, you know, we can do hard things has had some hardship mm -hmm. in the family and, and things around it. But I love that, that phrase. Uh, and I think about that every time I get a project where like, man, I don't want to do this mm -hmm. needs, but I recognize needs to be done. I'm yep. the right person to own it, to do this right now until we can get it. You know, and so I, I can do hard things. I can, mm -hmm. it's a temporary thing right. to go and use. That temporary could be the next two years right. that I'm having to do it. Uh, yep. Until it gets done, but you know it needs mm -hmm. to be done. Right, and uh, I don't want anybody uh, listening to uh, misconstrue like job crafting as like you know if you think that you can do it better and your manager <laughs> says no that you should quit. That's not true. No. Um, no. Uh, there's like a middle ground there, and I um, I when I left uh, working in special ed, I uh, took a role in a call center environment managing uh, FMLA claims. Right, so I figured. If I'm going to work in businesses, I need to leave the classroom and like learn what it is from the ground up. Um, and boy, did I know how to do it better. But 
guess what? I was not in a position to uh, leave and to go and, um, you know, just well, find other work, right? Well, th um, that that ahead. is a key part of governance in general is that you have to convince people. And uh, but where governance and where that your know, change management works well is where there's transparency. So it's mm -hmm. not just an employee going to your your manager and and saying, "Hey, look, I think there's a right. better way of doing it." If they come back and just say, "No." keep doing your job, like right. you're gonna be more unhappy. But if they come back and say, no, look, this is why, mm -hmm. this is what it, this impacts, this is why we need to do it this way, right. at least for the time being. If you have that transparent discussion mm -hmm. about that, you will be, I always use the phrasing of, uh, the more you involve people in the process, the more likely people will right. support the process. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When you have the transparency into in the business reasoning why, sometimes you may be enlightened, be like, oh, I didn't realize there are these other factors that of this is why we're doing it this way, even though we right. know it's not the long-term right way. Right. But then you will be more likely able to continue mm -hmm. doing that less optimal process right. or activity. Right. And sometimes, you know, sometimes if it's just, you know, your turn to dig the ditch, you know, it's best if someone just says, hey, we know that this is the uh, the undesirable job. Um, I'm trying to keep it family friendly. Um, <laughs> I know this is yeah. the uh, the crap job, um, but it's just your turn. You got to go and yeah. shovel that ditch. Yep. Uh, you got to go and dig that ditch for us. Um, sometimes that's all it takes. But um, having a manager who's willing to have that conversation instead of just say uh, saying this is the way it's done, go and do it. Um, Providing that bigger picture uh, is a um, a critical communication. I'll just this is a slightly sideways comment, but I'll just say that um, I've also had I've been in tech for thirty years, and I've seen from the number of companies and and mm -hmm. VC funded and public and private and uh, different sure. sizes. Uh, one thing that I've seen consistently is that you get a lot of people that have a uh, a wonderful pedigree, but no experience. Mm -hmm. And, right. uh, and, and I, I think you have to be very careful. Um, I right. know this is a topic for a different mm -hmm. day Yeah, of yeah. Hi hiring and uh, not trying to beat up on anybody in particular, but like the Harvard MBA over somebody with 10, 15 years experience, yeah. I will mm -hmm. take the experienced person every single day. Um, yeah. but that is not the case in a lot of companies. Yeah, that would be correct. Um, I mean, I probably agree with you there. Um, you know, I don't think that they're, you know, if you're looking for God, you're not going to find him in a boardroom, him or her in a boardroom, yeah. right? Uh, and so, like, nobody is, um, like, born into any job uh, as though, like, they are God's gift to it. Um, and so let's stop thinking that way and thinking that, like, if I only find the right combination of, um uh, uh, of pedigree, uh, it's, then it's, I'll solve my business problems. That's not Michael, true. it's money pit. Oh, right? not money pit, not money pit. It's, uh, uh, money no, ball, sorry. money ball. Money yeah. Ball. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we're, we're looking for, we're, we're looking for who can get on base. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We just, just need someone to get on base. Money ball. Um, money yeah. pit is a completely different movie. Fantastic <laughs> yeah. as well. Tom Hanks and Shelley. Uh -huh. Yeah. It's, uh, anyway. And if all you're hiring is, uh, Harvard MBAs, uh, over people with experience, you, you're probably running a money pit. So, yeah, yeah, I've actually seen uh, higher turnover uh, among, you know, especially mid to, to upper management uh, sure. from that strategy than, uh, mm -hmm. but, but anyway, again, that's a topic for another day. Yeah, but, that's, that's uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So talking specifically, we go cover a lot of ground here, coming back to kind of the changes that have seen, like, what are some of the fundamentals about what is changing with moving, you know, our, our workplace culture to hybrid? And and how does that play into what AppPoint is doing? Yeah. Um, so when you asked me on uh, this podcast, I, I you know had you know my my moment of doubt. You know, what am I going to say? What do I have to say? What what could Mike Miller say about this? Um, and I wasn't sure. And I, I you know casted about. I looked at my dissertation. I was like, what's in here about collaboration? And I uh, looked at kind of uh, the work that I've done. And I've been back and forth, right? And 
the truth is, um, you know, a lot of like what is uh, top of mind, getting the most airtime everywhere, things like mental health and burnout and the great resignation and DEI. And these topics get just tons of uh, airtime. If you spend 30 seconds scrolling LinkedIn, you're going to see, you know, four uh, posts and four blogs about uh, those topics. Um, so I was wondering, what is it that people aren't necessarily talking about? And um, when I think about you know, my area of expertise and what um, is maybe missing from the conversation around collaboration in a virtual or a hybrid environment, I think the managers have largely been left out. Mm -hmm. I think that managers uh, have never been more important than they are today. Um, yep. And I also think, uh, conversely, it's never been more difficult to do well as a manager. Um, and I think specifically around three points related to what it takes to be a good manager, uh, especially in a hybrid uh, or virtual environment. And the first is that for many people, for most uh, employees, especially if you're new to an organization, uh, your manager is your way of building social bonds at an organization. And so managers, they really need to be focused on um, the social aspect both building social bonds with their teams and amongst their teams, so with individual members, but also with everybody who is on your team, um, but also building social capital and how, do you, how you do that virtually is probably different than um, in person. Uh, I think that's mm, just as important, but much harder to do virtually, and we need to be more purposeful about it. Mm -hmm. I think um, manager or leader mindset uh, is critical as we are virtual or hybrid. Um, and we talked a bit about both of these, the activity versus output mindset. Uh, so, you know, are you focused on the activity of your people or the output that they are putting, um, that they that they are um, generating? And you should be focused on the output, right? Let's not worry, you know, did you log on at eight um, and did you log off at, at six? Uh, you should be worried, you know, did you reduce X number of Exactly. Right. That that's right. the definition of the micromanagers. It it mm -hmm. is more to do with it, like trying to dictate how you do something instead right. of right. you know what gets done. You yeah. know, and then recognizing being able to recognize that there may be different paths that lead to that that mm -hmm. result, and let the output, let the results determine. Right. You know. Yeah, I was reading an article not that long ago about some organizations that um, were. Uh, um, embedding software into people's uh, uh, computers or laptops for working at home that would take a photo every 10 seconds, right? Um, and if you weren't at your desk, it notified your manager. And if you uh, were like looking off screen, it would notify your manager. And uh, the organization wow. that was, it was like specifically wow. talking about uh, yeah. was more profitable than they, they had ever been. They were uh, bringing in more business than they had ever brought in before. Um, and they were investing that additional capital in monitoring their employees that were clearly doing their work. And what sort of message does that send uh, to your employee base? Well, fear is a motivator. It's incredibly mm -hmm. powerful, but it's also uh, uh, short-sighted because mm -hmm. I'm sure that the turnover, uh, the the level yep. of health and well-being of those employees was mm -hmm. also incredibly low. Right. Um, right. And yeah, yeah, we stray into well-being really quick going yeah. that road. Um, but it's true. Uh, but so the power, like your leader mindset, uh, needs to be front of mind. Are you focused on the activity or are you focused on the output? Um, and then the second mindset that I think is really important is that growth versus fixed mindset, which we talked about, right? Um, especially as we're doing new, hard, difficult, strange things in a, uh, virtual work environment, you know, as a manager, do you have a growth mindset about it? Do you know that, um, that we need to iterate and grow and change and uh, try out new things? Or do you say we need to get it right the first time? If you don't get it right the first time, you screwed up, right? Uh, you need to have a growth mindset. You need to be focused on output of your employee. Um, then that um, third thing that I think is so important for managers is uh, just an ongoing, probably magnified need to provide coaching to your employees, right? And uh, virtual has changed how that happens. You can't, you know, if, if you're now working virtually, you can't just swing by a desk or, or ask someone to pop into your office to talk through uh, that, you know, pitch that uh, was given yesterday. Uh, you need to actually schedule time for it and you need to be proactive and uh, purposeful about the coaching. Your employees need it more than ever. If you're a manager, take the time to do it and do it right. 
Yeah, I, that's that's one thing that uh, I mean, it's gotten harder in, in some ways, easier in others that mm-hmm. you have the online presence. You've got a question right there. But like anything, uh, you know, different people, different personalities. Some people need more prompting, need to have the scheduled times. Like I know that my personality, this might be surprising to you, Michael, but that I have no problem if I have a question for something, I reach out to people immediately. Right. Like, go and ask, you know, do that. Mm-hmm. And, and so my check-in with my manager might be, you know, very quick. I'm like, Hey, this is what I need. I already know like, Hey, here's my ass. This is what I need you to go and do. Mm -hmm. And where I've even sometimes like, here's the email I've crafted a draft, personalize it, but this is what I need you to send on my back to go get this done kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have found, um, just incredible success in like driving, um, you know, things nobody wants to drive, things like performance management. Nobody loves, literally nobody loved performance review time, but I found incredible success by just writing the email and being like, change everything that you want, change anything that you want, just put your name at the bottom and send it, right? Um, All of a sudden we have people sending out, you know, notices about performance review, make it easy. Um, Yeah, yeah. It's it's just this really, this new to me concept that, as I was like thumbing through the literature and like wondering, you know, what is it that I should be saying when I go into this um, uh, conversation? Um, this like new to me concept around collaboration, and maybe you've probably heard it before, um, but it's this idea of uh, burstiness um, in communication. And, you know, I, I see it in articles going back maybe three, three to five years, uh, but they call it burstiness. And it's the frequency of communication bunched into short time windows, right? So like there's always on communication. Am I having, you know, uh, a Teams chat ongoing all day, every day with 12 people? Or is it uh, focused really into a finite period of time, a lot of chatter uh, across a lot of different channels on a topic or a project with a uh, downtime in between? Um, and what I found, what, I, what I'm finding so interesting is uh, that it's the opposite of what I would expect. I would expect that uh, if we as an organization or as a team are having frequent always on communication, which has been like the thing, we're more likely to be productive. But what uh, this research is showing is that bursty communication seems super important for creativity, uh, for problem solving, for collaboration, and for a sense of connection with your team. Um, and the thinking there is that having those moments of bursty communication uh, that really targeted and frequent conversation um, with uh, longer stretches of downtime uh, is uh, helpful because it shapes our thinking during that conversation moment. And then it gives us time to like ruminate and marinate on it and do the work that we talked about. It's just this most interesting concept that I've seen. Well, there's the, so I don't refer to it as burstiness. I refer to it as asynchronous collaboration. There's synchronous and asynchronous. So that real time. And a lot of, I think this is one of the mistakes that's made this idea that with presence awareness and, and where were you is like, look, sometimes I'm in a call and I don't want alerts popping up. Like Mm -hmm. I will show myself as out of office. I'm still there working or I may shut off email and not respond to my phone, turn off notifications so that I can focus and get work done. Because one thing that we've learned before all of this, I mean, this is a long time. This is not news to anybody is that multitasking is a lie. Mm -hmm. No one Mm -hmm. is efficient at multitasking. And so that one of the concerns early on with so much, so many of these, these channels of communication is that it was, it was going to happen. The healthy thing is happening. We've just been right. evolving as people of turning things off, mm-hmm. of shutting things down. Uh, yeah. the, the more noisy communication gets, the more, the easier it becomes for us to turn mm-hmm. it off, not pay attention to those, which means we become more intentional ball, uh, intentional of when we're consuming that content, right. those communications. Yeah. And, and so that that's something where uh, that's another opportunity for an employee and a manager to discuss, like, mm-hmm. what is that right, that healthy ratio? If the role, the the tasks that are part of your responsibility, where you need to be more towards that synchronous, real-time availability right. during working hours versus, hey, I'm here, but I'm working on a bunch of other things. Mm-hmm. And then you know, those people that are working for that company where they're spying on you, and snapping a photo, right? We're doing a lot of hiring at, at that point. So lots of jobs over here. We don't do that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We do not do that. Um, I, I'll share that my one of my 
favorite new features, um, and I think it's been around for a bit, but um, my favorite new features that I'm using, uh, actually, um, my manager just sent me, I think the people team uh, is collecting like, you know, what are your resolutions for the new year? Um, and I think there's like a Grubhub post, uh, gift card or something in there. Um, but my resolution is to use this new feature um, with Viva Insights, the ability to schedule focus time automatically, yep. to schedule like a lunch time automatically and like breaks automatically. I think that's so important that um, everybody- I've been doing is, that more and more. Yeah, yeah it, you need to be uh, purposeful about it because otherwise the your time is just absorbed. Everybody has access to your calendar, can schedule meetings, and it just mm -hmm. happens. And I have, I manage like the AppPoint Community Champions, like our MVP program. And so I have like a calendar, like, so I could at any time, uh, all these, you know, dozens of people out there that have access to this priority scheduling tool for my calendar, mm -hmm. if I don't block the time, it'll fill up. Yep. Yep. Period. And so, right. uh, and so I'm, I'm quickly becoming one of those people. If it's not at least a week, in advance, mm -hmm. like it's not going to happen. Yeah, I have to tell you, I feel so guilty every time I see like, you know, green blocks of focus time on my calendar. And I don't know why that's something I need to over. That's something <laughs> I need to personally work on. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, but well, that's that's again, that's a, a, a like a cultural change. I think it's an important mm -hmm. change, too, is that no matter even if we are people managers, and I love that phrasing, you know, the people managers, yeah. we're every mm -hmm. manager you know, of, of something yeah. that's out there. Yeah. But uh, people managers is that there are still individual contributor activities, things that mm -hmm. we just need to get done. Do I need to focus on this document. I need to focus on mm -hmm. the responding to these emails. I need to do some, some strategic planning over the next right. quarter, the next year. Uh, you know, whatever those those things are. And there's a, another topic for another day of getting right. into objectives and KPIs. And mm -hmm. uh, we actually have a guest speaker happening this next month. We're going to be talking about Microsoft's acquisition of Ally.io, which is all okay. the objectives and, and yep. KPIs, like all of that capability into Microsoft Viva. Anyway, for people to nerd out on that that technology. Yep. Um, yeah. But the you know that that focus and having that shared understanding of what are we working towards? How does what I do as an individual drive value to my team? Mm -hmm. To my how do I help my manager achieve their goals? How right. does the, my manager that team, uh, you know, that roll up to the business unit? Mm -hmm. How does that roll up then to the entire company and accomplish what we're trying to do as a, as a company? I mean, it's important that everybody understands their role, their position, because I think, again, my experience is that it goes back to my personal satisfaction with my role. For me, it's not enough. Like, I'm not a ticket taker paycheck at the end of every two right. weeks. I, I Like, if I... I want to know that I am doing something, making an impact, that That's we're right. creating something that provides value to customers. And is there, can we do it better? Can we do it faster, more efficiently? Um, can we be more profitable? Can we, you know, like all of these things that I, I think about in my own role, my own day to day. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so that is, Again, maybe you'd call it, it's that that job crafty behavior. It's that growth mindset yeah. of that. I just look at that as, as, and I've certainly, I didn't start that way 30 years ago mm -hmm. um, where I just was looking for the bigger paycheck and getting things done on the outside to where it's now just kind of built into my personality, right. my psyche, the, the way that I, that I work. Mm -hmm. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can collect a paycheck pretty much anywhere, um, you know, uh, and if your mission in life is to collect a paycheck and to, you know, survive and to uh, focus on things outside of where you spend eight to 10 to 12 to however many hours uh, a day, great, you can do that. But um, for, you know, the rest of us who want to have some sort of enjoyment out of their day-to-day -day work, um, you need to focus on more than just like, you know, am I collecting a paycheck? For uh, you some need to focus on things like, you know, the manager that you have and the work that you're doing and how aligned you are with the company mission and vision. Um, and just, well, I mean, we can really get down a rabbit hole if we start talking about what drives employee satisfaction, but. Well, you know, it's, it's funny. So this is the way, little snapshot in the way my mind works. And I instantly thought of the movie, The Office. And I'm just like, mm -hmm. I want you to express yourself. Like some people, you know, yeah. seven is the right number of, of buttons and pins on your uh -huh. desk. Oh yeah, you know, yeah, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Um, oh, so you're saying I need more on this? Mm -hmm. No, what I'm saying is I want you to express yeah. yourself. Like, oh, okay, yeah. so do I need to put more on there? Yeah. Like, no, 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 I just, I just, if you feel that that's sufficient, other people have more. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Good, good times, good times. Well, Michael, hey, I really appreciate it. It's a great discussion. I mean, again, I, I think we, there there are several different, I've got some other ideas for blog posts and things that come out of this, right. that generally come out of this this topic, but it's a great discussion area. I'd love to maybe do something towards uh, towards the end of this next calendar year. And yeah. then we can kind of uh, say, it's like, you know, what's changed since the last time we talked and what's worked and, and right. it'd be interesting to do kind of a, a, a you know, more of an exploratory dive into yeah. what AppPoint's done. That would be great. Um, and then hopefully by that time a year from now, I'll have like some actual work product to point to and say, hey, we've done this, as opposed to, hey, we've talked about doing X, Y, and Z. Um, you know, I'm two, two and a half months into my tenure here at AvPoint. It's a lot of like learning for me. And it's a lot of um, kind of beginning to shape our strategies in the talent management arena. Um, you know, a year from now, who knows where we'll be. Exactly. Well, Michael, really yeah. appreciate your time and uh, we'll connect soon. All right, great. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to the Collab Talk podcast. New episodes are published every Friday, and you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and most other podcast services. Thanks for listening. Hungry for more great content? You have to check out the Shift Happens podcast. I'm your host, Dux Raymond Sai, Chief Brand Officer at AppPoint. And I sit down to chat with top business leaders and IT professionals about their most challenging modern workplace projects. Tune in to hear real-life advice from industry peers on making plans and pivots, casual conversations exploring the latest trends in collaborative Microsoft 365 technology, and easy, actionable strategies to make organizational change happen. Subscribe to the Shift Happens podcast today, available on all major platforms. Can't wait to see you there. Shift Happens Podcast. <laughs>